Welcome to SciFarc's Workplace Class Action Litigation Trends mini-series, a series of four episodes in which we provide an analysis of 2020 class action decisions and emerging trends in 2021. All content in this series has been sourced from the 17th Annual Workplace Class Action Litigation Report book launch event held in February of 2021. Over the course of this series, the report's author, Gerald Jerry Matman Jr., will discuss the five most notable trends in the workplace class action space. Jerry is one of CIFAR's preeminent class action litigators, co-chair of our class action litigation practice group, and the editor of the Workplace Class Action Litigation Report, which is recognized as the nation's most complete guide to workplace-related complex litigation. In our fourth and final episode, Jerry explains the trend of government enforcement litigation slowing considerably. Although the value of government enforcement settlements went up, agencies like the EEOC downsized their litigation enforcement programs and brought fewer lawsuits in 2020 than in any year of the past decade. Most significant for employers during the past year, the EEOC undertook multiple initiatives that reflected a shift away from systematic litigation as a priority. Um, trend four uh, had a lot to do with what Keith talked about. Uh, my take on what's going on is that over time, there's going to be an increase. Uh, there's going to be more charges filed, especially due to the dislocations economically uh, with people being laid off, furloughed, losing their jobs during mid-2020. I think there's going to be another round as businesses reconfigure when the workplaces open back up. And so there'll be quite a primed pipeline of many, many charges, which inevitably is going to increase uh, litigation. The other thing I'd look for is work done, litigation initiated at the state attorney general level. There are various states uh, where there is a very, very active movement by government officials, California, New Jersey, um, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts being prime examples where those state attorney generals or those agencies are initiators of litigation and likewise uh, create that one-two punch for employers. And in my experience over the last uh, 40 years, whenever uh, lawsuit filing or enforcement is down on the government side, um, the void tends to get filled by the private plaintiff's bar and more cases get filed by the plaintiff's uh, bar. So I think that uh, 2021 is going to be a very interesting year when we look back and see what those numbers look like from the EEOC, the NLRB, and the uh, DOL. Um, so I just wanted to make one other comment about uh, when Keith, he, may, he used the phrase, when the full force of the federal government comes down on a private employer, and I've always thought that um, private plaintiff class actions are serious, difficult, and challenging but probably the most challenging lawsuit that an employer can ever uh, participate in is an EEOC systemic uh, action. I uh, have likened it to kind of holding a hungry tiger by the tail. Uh, it's a very, very difficult proposition and very, very uh, important for employers. So um, Keith gave us the website and all the information on the website about the systemic litigation program. I think it's well worth your perusal because it tells you a lot about how to stay off the radar screen of the government and make sure you're not one of those companies that is sued uh, in one of those cases. 
The fifth and final trend uh, was also somewhat counterintuitive, but maybe a better word for it is stunning in terms of uh, the statistical rate that plaintiff's lawyers in the wage and hour space were able to uh, secure certification of those cases. Um, I teach uh, law students at uh, Northwestern University School of Law. I'm an adjunct professor there. We teach in these concepts, and um, it, it's often discussed in our class that it, uh, securing class certification is the holy grail in a workplace class action. And why do I say that? Because the case pivots after certification is uh, approved by a court because it creates weight, it creates burden, it creates leverage on the plant side and makes uh, whatever that case was in terms of defending it or looking at it a much more serious matter. And uh, we saw in looking at all the rulings issued in uh, calendar year 2020, an 84% certification success rate by the plaintiff's bar. That's the highest it's ever been uh, in the last 17 years. Uh, and my sense is this uh, trend is probably going to continue uh, in 2020. So again, uh, this book has been distributed to about 10,000 uh, people thus far. I'm often contacted for a graphic, and this is the most important graphic and the most popular graphic where it takes all of those rulings throughout the United States on a circuit-by-circuit -circuit basis and shows you these uh, certification rates. So we'll look a little bit behind those numbers on the next slide, and basically it shows the number of cases and how we got to 84%. In the wage and hour space, there's also something known as the decertification process, the argument to the court that now that discovery is done, you ought to take a hard look before sending us to trial, and this case really can't hold together. You can't put the name plaintiff on the stand, have them tell their story, and it transposes to everyone else, and there's no reason to even hear testimony because the story for Mr. Smith applies to the story of everyone else. Those decertification motions were won at the lowest rate uh, in the last um, uh, decade by employers, too. So by any statistical measure, the plaintiff's bar did better in 2020 than in any other year, and I think the single word that would characterize how uh, my brethren in the public or in the plaintiff's uh, bar is that they are emboldened, and 2021 is going to see an emboldened plaintiff's bar bringing these cases. Now, I have two theories, uh, and I think it's borne out by the statistic. One is the real estate theory of class action litigation, and the other is the stock market theory. And on this slide, you'll see that more cases are filed in the Second Circuit, that's New York area, the Ninth Circuit, which is California, based in San Francisco, and then the Fifth and Sixth Circuit, based in New Orleans and in um, Cincinnati. So what it shows is those are the four magnet areas where the most cases are filed, especially if you're a nationwide employer. That's where judges have the most familiarity with the cases, and that's where the case law is the most plaintiff-centric. And so, again, those statistics show you that location means everything, and class action litigation is not unlike uh, buying or selling a home, where location is an important ingredient of the entire calculus. Um, the other is the stock market theory of uh, 
class action litigation, and this graph shows the relative success factor of the plaintiff's bar, wage and hour in the middle at 84%, employment discrimination less than 50%, uh, ERISA up near 70%. And so uh, one of the reasons the uh, employer community and the Chamber of Commerce have lobbied Congress over the last five years about the wage and hour statute is it's stacked too easy, one-sided for the plaintiffs to be able to certify a case. They're able to certify a case with one declaration, no expert, after the case has been pending 30 days. In contrast, for ERISA and employment discrimination, and especially for employment discrimination, they need to hire an expert, do a statistical study, undergo discovery, and in essence, invest about a quarter of a million dollars in the case before they can even tee up a certification motion. Not so in the wage and hour space, and that's why more uh, cases are being filed in the wage and hour space, uh, uh, massive amounts of settlements, and it's basically uh, my time is more valuable in the wage and hour space if you're a plaintiff's lawyer because you can flip the case filings into successful certifications and then uh, successful settlements. So this last slide shows the number of wage and hour cases, and before, uh, 2015, from about 1995 to 2015, it ratcheted up every year. And since 2015, it's gone down every year. But nonetheless, that's a huge pipeline. There's a lot there, and these are federal court cases. It's hard to get statistics on state court cases, but certainly in some jurisdictions, a plaintiff's lawyer tends to file state court uh, class actions rather than federal class actions. So there's a lot there. This concludes the fourth and final episode of Cypress Workplace Class Action Litigation Trends mini-series. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to the other episodes in our series for more important information regarding workplace class action litigation trends. These episodes and other important updates can be found in the News and Insights section of Cypress.com.